Hi, I'm Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Everyday Entrepreneur. I have a very special guest today that I'm so excited for you to meet. She's different than a lot of the other guests that I've had on so far, both in the blog and on the podcast, because she creates a physical product. That's right. Shayla Dopp is in the fashion industry. She creates gorgeous shoes and accessories. She's based in LA and it draws inspiration from all over the world. So let me just tell you a little bit about her business. So DOP is a design studio run by Shayla. Her first location was in Oakland, California. She seeks out talented craftswomen and men at home and abroad to partner with to create her thoughtful designs. She's a true creative. I'm so excited. She works tirelessly to make her shoes and garments not only complement their wearer's natural beauty, but enhances their spirit by elevating their mood. Shayla's going to talk to us about her inspiration and where she finds her treasures. And I'm beyond excited to introduce to you, everybody, Shayla Dopp. So welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for thinking of me. This is so great to be on. Yes, absolutely. Well, I just did an intro to you, but why don't you tell us who is Shayla Dopp? What do you do? And tell us about your business. Okay, so I am actually based in Oakland, but my factory oh. is in LA. <laughs> so I just that's what it was. For some reason, yeah. I thought you were in LA, but there yeah. was an LA tie with your factory. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of people think I'm in LA, which is so sweet. I guess I, I have a store that I have my goods in there, and um, I love it down there. Maybe one day. Um, but yeah, I'm an Oakland-based. Uh, designer. I have a retail location in Temescal Alley, which is a really sweet little um, go-to spot if you're looking to do some retail therapy in Oakland. Um, Tons of tiny little shops run by artisans um, from the Bay Area. Yeah, so I have a retail location, which has totally changed since all of this COVID has happened, (laughs) obviously. Um, and I've basically shifted to being completely online and doing some curbside pickups. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the retail portion for any, anyone that has a brick and mortar shop has changed the whole way that you do business. So you've had to pivot to, to doing your business online. Um, I definitely want to get to what you've had to change because of COVID. And then also, I'd love to hear more about why you choose to make your goods in the U.S. and why Elaine's in particular. I'm sure there's a good story there. But tell us just a little bit about how you got started. Because like most entrepreneurs, unless you inherit a business, you don't really just wake up one day and voila, you're a business owner. There's a lot of stops and starts, a lot of stumbles, a lot of um, just second guessing, maybe like pep talk pep talks needed along the way. So tell us how you got started. Why do you do what you do? So I always, okay, let's see. Let's start at the beginning. 
Um, I never really was satisfied with shoes. My whole entire childhood was one disappointing pair of shoes after the other. So I always had this like need to re redesign the shoe to make it cute and comfortable, which I thought was something that I just never could find. Um, and so the seed was planted really young in this way, but it wasn't that I was thinking I was going to be a shoe designer necessarily. I was just really unsatisfied with them always. Um, and then I, I loved fashion. I got really into making my own clothes and, um, and I have always drawn, um, and I got into a school in Paris for, for fashion. And so I did that for, for only a year, this intensive program and made some great friends, made some great connections, and then um, continued to work in fashion in Paris. I was then married at the end of the school year to a Frenchie and so lived there for three more years working in the industry, working for German Vogue and um, assisting photographers, uh, mostly um, doing some assisting of fashion designers themselves and helping them um, in competitions and things like that. It was a real turnoff. <laughs> um, the fashion industry, especially in Paris at that time, which is the early 2000s, was so disturbing to me. People that I thought were so great that I was working with and seemed to have a really good level head on their shoulders were doing things to models that I just could not get behind. And the way that those young girls, mostly like 14, 15 years old, and like not only were they like naked in front of us often, which I was really uncomfortable with for them, but they were just being mistreated and, and talked down to. And I was just really turned off by the whole industry. So that made me take a really long pause especially when I moved back to the Bay Area and I got styling work so quickly and interiors and I just. So uh, let, let me pause you right there. So you, you've been working, you, you had gone to school in Paris um, mm-hmm. for fashion. You got your, probably what you would have thought your dream job working right in Paris in, in this hot fashion industry that, that probably has a, you know, younger version of yourself, you would have been like, oh my God, I made it. Yeah. I need to figure out that like, once you got in it, wow, like models at 14, 15 years old are being totally mistreated. They're walking around naked in front of people. How inappropriate, like, whoa, ethical red flag. So probably it sounds like the more, the deeper that you got into the industry and really saw what, what goes on, your ethics kind of said, Hey, wait, this, this isn't for me. Um, and so how did you decide I'm done with this? I want to exit and do something else. What was that pivot? Most of it was honestly very location-based because when I moved back to San Francisco, there wasn't much going on here and it wasn't as though those were the jobs being offered me. Um, and, and so anything in that realm was, was much more of my creation. And I think that's why it took so long for me to start my own thing up is because there's wonderful designers in the Bay. I'm not saying there isn't, but it's just a very different world. And it's not like there's a ton of job postings all the time in it. So 
Interiors is also something I adore. So it was just, it was easy. How did you decide you wanted to start creating your own designs and do something for yourself rather than working for someone else? I I remember there was one morning. It was so pivotal for me. And it is such a simple idea, but it really mattered. I was driving to work way out in the middle of nowhere. And it was the most beautiful landscape. And I was like, where I'm going every day, I'm choosing to drive to this job that I don't want way out here every day. I'm choosing to do this. And it just was so simple, but I was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this to myself, you know, and I need to change. And I, I just started crying and I was like, okay, I'm going to change. And then like three years later, I finally did. (laughs) But, but there was a real like, wow. Okay. So now from now on, like I can't take my own credit of what I'm choosing to do with my life. Like, I think that's a huge part of it. It's just really recognizing like we're going to work hard no matter what we do. And, and I just got to a point where I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I'm working my butt off. Like I'm going to focus no matter how hard it is on something I like, because this is harder. Yep. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head. If, if we're all going to work hard, no matter what, so why not work hard doing something you love your come to moment? I, I can really relate to that. Like driving to work and being like, Oh my God, I'm here. I am spending my precious time driving to something that I don't like. And I'm spending my time in a very short life doing what I don't like. I remember I worked at a, um, a fast casual uh, food brand a few years ago. This is my last and final corporate job working for someone else. And I had a walk to work. So in my, you know, I wasn't even driving, but I had like a 10 minute walk. And I remember thinking like, feeling like I was moving through molasses, taking every step to that job. In fact, I felt this energy my last couple of weeks there um, before I was let go. um, I felt this energy, like literally trying to push me out of the door when I opened the door to go into the office. I just knew I was so going against my grain and I was going against everything that I stood for. But the scary part was what the hell do I do instead if it's not this? So how did you decide on your journey? Like, okay, well, if it's not doing this job, like, what do I do? So I live in this live work space and we have a shared like common area courtyard and it also our units are really hot and and we have these big garage doors that open up to the courtyard and so it makes for this really amazing kind of situation where people get to know each other really quickly and so I became really close with my neighbor and she was working for Levi's and, and we just had the same thought, like we're done. We're so done. We need out. We, and we just felt so good and strong together. And we had the same dream and we decided to make swimwear together, which is also something that I love. And I actually made a few times before this partnership with her um, and just wore for my own purpose. Um, and she and I just, we just, took off we I mean we were talking about it so four in the morning like a lot like often like what what can we do how can we do it just being really excited and um firing each other up and then we she already had a little bit in line um working in Indonesia and with these guys and um 
her whole business model wasn't what I would have done alone. And a lot of it was already laid out. And um, we had a lot of conflicts. And I realized very quickly that I shouldn't have partnered with her. And it was really catastrophic for our relationship because we were incredibly close at that point. Um, The thing that I learned the most is that we had very different talents, but we had the same faults. And that's something we hadn't considered. We had the same stubbornness. We had the same... um, yeah, well, that was a big one. Stubbornness was probably the biggest one. <laughs> but you um, found this woman in your live work complex in yeah. Hope, and yeah. you were already thinking about like kind of starting your own thing anyway. And here comes this person who works for Levi's, has a lot of experience, and a swimwear idea working with folks in Indonesia, and like kind of had. Did she have like a business model kind of set up that you could just kind of? weave yourself into was that so then when that happened you're like okay cool and then things until they weren't cool (laughs) it sounds like it sounds like there was just personality conflicts and I think when people when people think about starting a business um one thing that I really strongly believe people need to carefully consider is the thought of bringing on a partner um more often than not when I hear nightmare stories about entrepreneurship it's tied to choosing the wrong partner and I I guess it's like choose marrying the wrong person or um and so it sounds like that was a lesson that you learned quite early on in your entrepreneurship journey yes yes and I'm very grateful for that and I learned a lot from her a lot um she was coming from a very corporate background and I had not done anything remotely like that so what would you valuable if you huh? if somebody was considering bringing on a partner to start their business or to grow their business, what would you tell someone when they're thinking of about about a partnership? Right. Do you do you need what they in particular have to offer, or do you just need money, or do you need a community to support you? Because I think a lot of what we were doing for each other was firing each other up and getting excited, and I got a lot of that same energy from the classes, the business classes that I took and the people that I took them with. And also having a mentorship, I think would have been just as helpful. Um, You know, there's other ways to get people to egg you on and get you excited. And there's other ways to get money than partner with someone. And I think you really have to be super honest with yourself. And I think I was very scared of ruining our friendship from the beginning. And I was right to be. And I think that you really have to weigh it out and not be afraid to to say no if you really feel a red flag coming up. Not be afraid Even to say it no. Might hurt. Yeah. It might yeah, hurt. It, it will hurt more, I promise. <laughs> yeah, the long-term pain is, wor- is worse than the short-term, mm-hmm. just saying this isn't right. And so yeah. it sounds to me like, you know, if someone's considering to bring on a partner, um, doing it for the right reasons. So evaluating your reasons behind, you know, is it, is it money? Is it pep talks? Is it, you know, they bring to the table a skill set that you don't, but I think a careful evaluation obviously seems is critical, you know, rather than jumping into something and crossing fingers, hoping it works. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it. 
Thank you for sharing that. That's, I mean, yeah, we, we all go through many tough learning um, experiences along the way. And so when that dissolved and obviously you didn't stop there because we're talking today, what happened yeah. next? <laughs> so I took, I took a little bit of a pause. I think I took a year. And what I did was I kept my day job. I never had stopped. I kept styling and styling assisting and doing production design uh, for different companies. And it, it was busy work, but I had this feeling I just wanted to do something else. And so I had always loved shoes. I mean, the idea of designing them. So I found all these shoe schools all over the world. And the one in Italy looked amazing, but I couldn't afford it. And it was really long. And then I found this place called the Shoe College in Jerome, Arizona, which is now in New Orleans. And it's one woman um, run. It's cute. It's called the Shoe College, but it's just her. But she's the Shoe College, everybody. (laughs) But she's so amazing. I mean, her first pair of shoes she ever made were like work boots. They're incredible. I mean, that is like a really skilled thing to make. So I went on a road trip and studied with her and um, made my first prototype. And then I came back to the Bay Area and got a little storage container for like $300 a month and started cobbling. And I did that for a year before before I was like, this is never going to be a business. I can't do this that quickly. And um, I had one week that was super successful and I made, I think, three pairs of sandals for kids. And my hands were so sore and I came home and I cracked my knuckle and I fractured my finger. Oh, <laughs> your body was oh, telling you something. Oh, girl. Wait, so let me just pause oh, here for a minute. You were physically cobbling your own shoes by hand after going to school for a year at the shoe, the shoe college. Oh, no, I didn't go for a year. I went for four days to the shoe college. We did a really intensive workshop where I learned how to make one pair of shoes. And then I came oh. back and all the tools slowly built my little space out, got all these secondhand, really, I did it so on the cheap. I was really thrifty, um, except I got like, you know, I got a good drill, which was very important. <laughs> but um, four yeah, days, shoe college. Yeah came yeah. home and you're yeah. like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start physically making my own shoes. You're working, yeah. literally working your fingers to the bone. You crack your knuckle and you break your knuckle. Yeah. What, yeah. I mean, right there, you're done for a little bit, right? Like what, what did you do? I drove down to LA and I went to all these places and asked everybody I saw where the factory was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Talk about scrappy hustle. I was like, where, why are you going down there again? And I was like, because I need a factory and nobody will tell you anything. I mean, everyone's so okay. You're driving down to LA with a broken knuckle and just literally driving around asking people where there's a shoe factory. Yeah. That's amazing. And okay. So how, how did who did you talk to and how did you finally land on a place? I mean, I went to all of the leather supply places and asked them. Then, like, if anybody knows these guys. And I was really scared because I had previously had such nightmarish 
experiences in San Francisco with the shoe guys there. They're so terrible. So they had made me feel like such an idiot over there for asking if they had anything that was just pure rubber. Anyway, there's a lot of guys that are really, um, and I say guys because it's literally only men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's these um, shoe supply places and they're just got such a major chip on their shoulder. Shoe design is not easy. Clearly um, not. Well, yeah. and, and so what, you know, I guess somebody sitting down listening to this might think, well, why didn't you just go to China? Why didn't you just go do it cheap somewhere and just get it done and like call it a day? What was important to you when it came to your shoes and your design? So when I was having the, the swimwear made in Indonesia, it was just such a major I didn't also like, I never wanted to make things abroad. That was just something that was, she had already made the relationship. They seemed really cool and they were so open. They're like, yes, you can come. You can come to the factory. You can take a look around. And people were telling me things before I went like, look around for pillows. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you got to make sure that nobody's sleeping overnight in them and that they're not like these horrible inhumane conditions. And I was like, okay. Like already, I don't want to do it. And then I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? I have to look and see if people actually have no lives at all, but to work in these factories. And of course, children were a fear, you know, that they were working in them. You can't really judge because it's another economy. So I'm not coming from a place of judgment. It's just intense. Um, and so I I was really against it, the whole thing. And But they were like, yeah, you can come. You can see the factory. We'll give you a tour. And then we got there, and they were like, no, you can't see the factory. Why not? And there's just like, red flag central. Like, I'm so out of this. Like, yeah. this is not – this. I don't know what you're hiding from us. And I was actually kind of convinced they were going to China mm-hmm. and then coming back to Bali and mm-hmm. acting like they made them in Bali. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so you do that – you can't protect your designs you can't protect anything I mean that's hard enough anyway and so in the U.S. is the factory is the garment factory industry better than the U.S. is there are the regulations like what what made you feel better about doing it here well first of all the proximity I'm really hands-on and so and because I know how to make shoes myself not saying that I'm particularly good at it but I know what goes into it and so being part of that process if I was doing that anywhere abroad I would be out of the country for a really long time um also everyone in my factory I go into my factory I know people in my factory I have a very personal relationship with the people that work there they all have nicer cars than me I'm like, everybody's doing okay, you know, like, I'm doing them very well, which hurts and makes my shoes very expensive. But honestly, like I look at the shoes in my price range that are made in other places. And I know it's also partially the design of them, but the the quality and the materials aren't, aren't there for the same price point for something with a lot of hype. So I, I just, it's hard. It's been hard for me, the price point. That's probably been one of the hardest things because I've never bought a pair of shoes this expensive. <laughs> well, and that brings you to a good point. <laughs> so you guys have to check out her, um, Shayla's site, dop.city. And your shoes are incredible. And when I look at them, I, I love quality. Mm-hmm. I love quality things. I personally don't buy my shoes at Target, maybe flip-flops, but I love a good quality shoe because 
I don't know. I'm just, I'm just obsessed too. Um, when it comes to just having beautiful footwear. So looking at your site, it's very clear to me that everything is very artisan and handmade and thoughtfully designed and carefully, like carefully just, you know, presented. And so you're, it's clear that that's important to you. And from, because of that, you're attracting a certain client. And when you talk about your ideal client, and this is one thing I, I work with my students quite, quite heavily on is defining their ideal client. And, you know, you can't create something that's a one size fits all because you'll end up selling to no one. But when you think about your ideal woman that wears your shoes, who is she? She is a very independent thinking, bold woman. And it has been so incredible having the store and being the only person in there because I get to do market research in real life, in real time. And um, it is really hard in real life to narrow down who she is because I have had clients and little girls want them, little boys want them, which is so (laughs) cute. They're like, they want them all. And I'm like, yes, take them. Um, But um, budding shoe shoe fans at a young age, I'm telling you, it starts um, early. I have my mom to yeah. thank for my shoe, my shoe obsession. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but they I mean, they really ranges who my shoes attract. And I think a part of that is because of the colors. I think it draws a lot of people in just because of the joyous aspect of the color range. And speaking of that, so where do you get your inspiration? I love talking to artists because the sources of inspiration can sometimes be so unexpected. And so when you're Mm -hmm. clearly color is something that's important to you and your brand. And where do you get your ideas? Um, So I've really tried to make my ideas. So, so when I, I should probably go back a little bit to when I studied in Paris, it was a super high concept school. It had nothing to do with pattern making or in real life, making anything at all. Um, But it had to do with drawing and high concept and, I try to draw from that as much as possible all the time. Um, As far as my own personal designs, I I have kept it really true to my heart so far. I have very few designs out there, but they're very personal. So the first shoe, for example, was Benny, which is named after my fiance, who was like my huge support network in the very beginning. Like, Shayla, you got to do this. You're so unhappy. Just try it out. You know, he was really my my real winds beneath my wings. <laughs> um, and then, and all the colors were uh, blood, sweat, tears, and asphalt. So it was just all about driving back and forth up from LA. Um, everybody shoving the door in my face. I mean, it was so hard to get started. Nothing was easy. Everybody was rude. It was so intense, but I just kept putting my little foot in the door and not letting anybody say no to me. My factory said no to me. And I said, I, I don't know. I think we should work together. <laughs> I don't, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, they were like, we're too busy. This is really like, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. I always know uh, from a design, if any designers are out there listening to this, I always know when I'm on to something because the people I'm working with are questioning me or telling me no. And that's been a really, yeah, I, 
I, I'm a natural rebel, but that has been really ammunition for me. And in the beginning, it was discouraging. It was like, well, I don't know more than you. So you must be right that this is bad, that this is wrong. This isn't a good idea. And then I started raising the eyebrows of my guy that owned my factory back then. And he was like, oh, this is really interesting, actually. So I <laughs> love that. <laughs> Like how to know you're onto something is when someone's telling you no and questioning you. Love <laughs> that. I love that because how many times have we been taught, well, if someone else says no, if someone else doesn't like your idea, if someone else isn't on board, well, they must be right. And then we walk away. And I know for a fact, especially working in my corporate job, because it's so hierarchical when I worked in corporate, I felt like what the boss says went and like very, you know, if, if they didn't think your idea was good, well, it, it ain't happening. And so I love that you didn't let that stop you and you kept pushing anyway. And we're like, Hmm, you're saying no, tell me more. I always think that the, <laughs> the, the answer no is a request for more information. Yeah. So oh, when I someone like tells you no, Oh, cool. You're a, you want more information. Okay. So when, when people kept telling you no, and we'll get back to your sources of inspiration, but I think this is a key piece. When people keep telling you no and no and no, it's incredibly discouraging if you're trying to date, if you're trying to find a factory, if you're trying to get funding, whatever it is, there had to have been a time when you wanted to throw in the towel and just be well, for, be like, well, forget it. What kept you going and what kept you just so tena- being so tenacious about this process? I really have been a someone that thought for my whole life I was just going to play and dabble in different in different arenas and I was never going to settle down with one thing and I don't know if like accumulation of getting older, you know, a little way more focused in my intentions, but when I found shoemaking it wasn't like a choice. Like I felt super addicted to it. Like I I went home from my first days of making shoes and my hair smelled like leather. And it was something that was so intoxicating to me. I can't <laughs> describe it. Like, this is what I want. Like, I, I want this. Like, this feels, it felt very, very true to myself in a way that I had never felt before. And that is something that doesn't leave you. Once you feel that, I think you're like, well, what else is there? Like, what? You know, I not to say that I couldn't design other things. I love designing other things, but it's just that this just got me there. It started me off. It it really took my life over. <laughs> I mean, everything suffers when you're an entrepreneur. If you don't, you know, if you don't have a, a if you're not um, independently wealthy, at least a lot of things suffer. You know, your relationships, your time management is it's all very tricky. But to me, it's been worth it the whole entire time. I love that. And you're right. I think, I think we don't, this is not the road. This is not the easy way. This it, it, owning a business, running a business, being an entrepreneur is not the easy way. And if people are looking, if someone is looking for like an easy way, like I just want to be my own boss and, and only work four hours a day. Well, this isn't for you then. I, I mean, it's just not, it, yeah. and that's my strong, strong opinion. And you have to want it so bad. Like you're hair smelling like leather and being intoxicated by that and being like knowing it down to your bones like this is this is what I meant to do like very few people get to experience that and then actually go do it and so the fact that you listened to that and then went and did it made it happen like 
girl, I'm clapping you up over here. <laughs> Amazing. And, and you just like, I mean, that's just, that is the entrepreneur story. And when you talk about funding, when I think about services-based businesses, such as my own, um, they can get started. We Services-based businesses can start with relatively low overhead. Obviously, you have a product. You have to re- acquire materials and pay people to build your product. How did you get your funding and how, how did you, you know, kind of get started and how do, how were you able to pay people right away to, to create your product? So it happened real slow. Like the first, the first shoe that I made, the Benny, um, I made probably like 30 pairs of and had, um, that was all self-funded. And then I had a little show at my house. Like it turned my garage into a showroom and invited all my friends and family and everyone that I'd met along the way basically over. And um, I sold a ton of them and everyone was so supportive and so awesome. And that they weren't perfect, honestly. They had Sharpie on the inside with the size. Like, it was not... <laughs> hey, was not grassroots, grassroots. <laughs> I mean, it's like... It's, I was really a perfectionist about my everything that I put out, always. And this was really hard for me. You hear it again and again and again, but the concept of not, not waiting for something to be perfect to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Done is better than perfect. Oh my gosh, because I would have never gotten that support from my community. I would have never, you know, if I had waited, it wouldn't have happened for me. You still would be trying to perfect it, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a losing game trying to perfect anything. And I know I I struggle with being comfortable and putting imperfect things out there because there's always one more tweak or change or update or enhancement or something that I can do to make it better. But at some point you got to stop and just put it out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess just in wrapping up, um, yeah. the journey has been amazing. And I think it's, it's been so helpful to hear kind of the ups and downs and how you got to where you are. If they're like their business idea is very good or they don't really know how to get started, what what is something you would tell them um, to help, you know, to help inspire them to to go for it? Mm-hmm. I think having people in your life that are also entrepreneurs and have an idea, taking a class, educating yourself, listening to podcasts, I think all these things can expand your personal view of what's possible. And I know I aim to do that for people. That's why I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Um, oh, I'm so grateful for you. Um, <laughs> um, it's really good to play. And it's, I, I, you know, I really stayed in the safe zone with my job for as long as I could until it became, I was a terrible employee and I was working on my stuff way too often in the day. And the business was asking so much of me. I had to shift over. I think. The most valuable thing we can do is is play and find our thing. And don't be afraid to fail ever, ever, ever. It's the biggest gift. And yeah, just know that if you put something out there and it's not perfect, there's another chance. It's not over, you know? So don't be afraid to like, fail. It's the biggest gift and put imperfect things out there. 
I love it. It's been so great having you here, Shayla. A couple of things before you wrap up. Real quick, where do you find your inspiration? Um, oh, gosh. In everything and everyone. I really love people watching. I love plants. And um, I really draw a lot of inspiration for my designs from the people that I'm naming them after. So the newest style, which has all the updates that I wanted to do forever, is like all come together to be my favorite shoe so far. And it's tell us about it. I saw it. Thank you. It's so I had forever uh, these clients who come in and they say, "Oh, my foot's too narrow. My foot's too wide." And so I wanted to make something really versatile. And my auntie is an amazing artist, and she has this installation, which is on my Instagram. You can see this cute little video of her showing me around. But there's this piece in it called Corner Corset, which she just took a corner. It's just so simple and brilliant and wove this velvet thread down it um, and says that it's structural, which is just hilarious. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make a lace-up named Susan, and it's going to expand to the widest-footed person I know and then shrink up to fit the most slim person I know so I'm really all about making women feel comfortable and beautiful so and then some men have bought them too which makes me so happy oh um the Susan that's your newest yeah. shoe uh, and it's yeah. gorgeous I totally yeah. stalked you on inst- Instagram and I'm like oh, what is that beautiful green and silver I saw yes. it green and silver lace up beauty for summer and it oh, all of your shoes I'm obsessed um, do you have it right there? Yeah. Oh, I can't stop looking at it. I only have one, which is just torture because I can't wear it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I did major, like wear tests. I always do like a major like walk miles in the shoes before I put them into production to make sure that is something we didn't get into. But that hey, I'll have you back on, and then I want to hear more about like. Yeah. How do you make sure they're comfortable? Like, how do you make sure they don't fall fall apart? Friends, if you're listening, I'm guessing Shayla wouldn't mind answering your questions. And if you reach out to her, ask her about her process, um, how she got started. If you're curious and want to learn more about how to break into the fashion industry, how to make it as a shoe designer. I mean, your story has been so exciting and so inspiring. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And if people do want to find you and continue the conversation and you know, most importantly, buy one of your gorgeous pieces, where can they find you? It's dop.city, the website, D-O-P-P dot city, C-I-T-Y. And um, that's my website and my Instagram handle. And on the website, you can also find goods I found from all over the world, treasures that I sell in the shop and now online. Love it. And when are you guys going to be opening back up in Oakland? I'm not sure. It's it's, I'm doing the curbside pickup. It's really difficult because people want to come in. Um, and I don't, it's just tricky. It's tricky time. I'm just going to keep doing the curbside for as long as I can. Well, I am sending all of the good thoughts and um, vibes your way that you can open your, your brick and mortar back up very soon. And in the meantime, everyone go to dot city, D-O-P-P dot city and check out Shayla's shoes. They're gorgeous. Thank you so much, Shayla, for being here today. It's been Thank so you. fun to hear your story. And I personally am so inspired. And um, I learned a lot too. So thank you so much. And we thank appreciate you. you. All right. You <laughs> Bye.
I don't know about you, friend, but I learned so much hearing Shayla's story. I mean, talk about Scrappy. She didn't have a clue about how to make an actual shoe. So she, oh, that rhymes. So she went to shoe school, learned how to make shoes with her own bare hands, and started cobbling together shoes until her fateful accident happened of breaking a knuckle, which caused her to then drive down to LA and get door after door after door shut on her of vendors or factories telling her no. But yet, Shayla pursued, she persisted. And again, I just admire her so much for her tenacity and strength as a business owner to just keep going. I love how she said she really knows that she's onto something when she keeps getting told no or when people turn her away. So friend, if this is you, if you are getting told no over and over and over by family, friends, peers, whoever it is, keep going. Keep putting your gifts out into the world. Keep doing what your heart and your inner soul is telling you to do. I'm telling you, just keep doing it because there will be a door and there will be your person that says yes. And so with that, I thank Shayla so much for being on the Everyday Entrepreneur podcast today. She has a beautiful shop in Oakland. Please check her out. Go to her shop. You can visit her online at Dop City, D-O-P-P City. I will include all of her information on the show notes. Follow her on Instagram at dop.city. I love Shayla's shoes and I don't know about you, but I've got my eye on these hot pink little slip-ons that are so cute. Anyway, thanks for being here. When you could have been anywhere else, you chose to be here with me and Shayla today on The Everyday Entrepreneur. I will see you next time. And if you enjoyed this interview, please be so kind to leave a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. I would love to hear what you think. So let's connect online. Visit me at hollynoel.com. Find me on Instagram at hollynoel. LinkedIn, I'm there, hollynoel. Facebook, consult.hollynoel. I want to stay in touch with you. I want to hear what you think of the show and answer any business questions that you have and be a resource for you. So thanks again for being here and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me this week on The Everyday Entrepreneur. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I'm truly grateful to you. Make sure to stop on my website and you can subscribe there to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd love your rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. Finally, check out my free guides to starting a business at hollynoel.com slash free. And be sure to tune in two weeks from today for my next episode. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.